One, two, three. Welcome to our podcast called Three Song Stories. Our goal is to use music to get to know our guests. Three songs, that's all they get to choose from all the tunes that have crossed their minds and paths over the years. We ask for the three that most directly connect them to times and people from their lives to bring out the storyteller in each and every one of us. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is Bob Grissinger, best known by many as the man behind Bennett's Fresh Roast in downtown Fort Myers, which arguably makes the best darn donuts on the planet. He's also known by many listeners across Southwest Florida as C. David Bennett, one half of Bennett and Birch on Wink 96.9 FM. The two of them were heard weekday mornings for more than 14 years. Bob has a deep history with radio and music, and so I figure must have just had one heck of a time getting down to just three songs, and we welcome him now to find out which ones made his list. Hey there, Bob. How's it going? I uh, have recovered from the process of picking three songs that define my life. That was not an easy easy assignment. You know, when your name popped into my head for this project, that – I did that calculus, and I felt like you would have a hard time, and so I relished the thought of putting you through it. Good Lord, I was in, tw- I was in Top 40 Radio for 35 years. You know, and I have That's to say, full disclaimer here, right at the beginning, before we get into the questions, I, list- I grew up listening to Wink 96.9, so <laughs> sitting in a studio with headphones on, talking into studio-quality microphones with your voice, with your face, is fun and interesting for me. It is a pleasure. <laughs> okay, let's get to the questions. What is the first musical memory that flashes into your mind, like all the way back, as deep as you can go? Well, my mom singing to me. Okay. She always sang uh, a Rosemary Clooney tune. Boy, does that tell you how old I am. <laughs> she loved the song, Hey There. And she sang that to me all the time. Hmm. I remember that really clearly as a little tiny kid. I must have been two or three years old. Do you feel like your, your memory is probably pretty crisp and accurate? Or, you know, you know how early memories are? You feel like there's a little fantastic. I was in college it? in the 70s. Now, what do you expect the answer <laughs> to that question might be? Yeah, I guess my memory's pretty good. I'm 63, but I remember a lot. And I'll tell you what. Choosing three songs for you today raised a lot of memories that were kind of buried. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It's it's interesting how you turn on a certain part of your brain all of a sudden, and you're like, holy cow, that's been in there all this time. Almost Go fever figure. dreamish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was the musical um, uh, world like for you as a child? What was the background of your, your home's music, your family's music? Was there lots on the radio? I, I was the kid of of, 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 of Two intellectuals who were very well-educated, very bright and intelligent people. And dad was a Lutheran minister, my mom a, a professor of English literature. And uh, I don't believe I listened to anything pop really? or contemporary until my late teen years, was, perhaps when I was a junior in high school. And it, was, it was always classical for my family. OK. So there was, there was music being played around the house. It was classical, mu- classical music. Classical music was music. Oh, well, no, we were not when we were sleeping. But, well, but yeah. when, during the daytime hours, the, the Magnavox stereo in the living room was cranking out WGMS in Washington, D.C. Were you aware of the other worlds of music that were developing around the edges of that? Absolutely. And, and, and I was aware of it, and I had a very um, a condescending attitude about it. Oh, really? So what did I do? I went on to make a life's career. Yeah, out, out, of, the, out, uh, of, out of it. Out of the very <laughs> stuff I shamed. Can you remember the first music that, that moved you, and you can't say your mom's singing to you? Um, Motown. Motown. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you categorically that the songs by The Supremes, by Marvin Gaye, and uh, that period was, I consider to be some of the greatest American music ever, ever written and produced. And it was simple. It was beautiful. It was simple. It was full of heart. And it for all intents and purposes, it, it was made to move you, and uh, sometimes on the very basis of levels. What was the um, the pivot between your classical musical world and the pop music world? At what point did you lose your highbrow thoughts? An AM daytime radio station in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania called WEO, W-E-E-O, uh, <laughs> It was the top 40 radio station, and it went on the air, I think, my junior year of high school. And all of a sudden, everybody tuned it in and listened to it. It was the greatest thing that ever came along in the history of what, what, my hometown. What grade would you have been in? I would have been junior in high school. Did you feel guilty at first? Did you try to pass judgment on your uh, um, you know, contemporaries? No, it's amazing how uh, able I was to dismiss all of my previous prejudices. I did it pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. Of course, it was the cool thing to do, and that's what, uh, that's what being a junior in high school is all about, is fitting in with your peers, and I, I worked really hard at that. Did you have a favorite band at that point in time? I mean, what was your sort of first favorite band outside of the world of you know classical? I think uh, probably the music of Elton John. I remember your song specifically as being the first pop song I ever heard that I just was blown away by, and it was your song by Elton John. I loved that song. I adored it, and I still adore it. I still get chills when I hear that song. Isn't it crazy how music does that? It does it to you because that's what it's made to do. Right. That's why, it, that's why we embrace it, and that's why we love it and listen to it. It's all the way back to the first days of the, the first time somebody banged a gong. It's designed to get reaction from humans, and that's what it does. And it's getting it's it just it's never lost that, even in its most computerized state as it is today, it still does the same thing. Isn't it wild? And it's you know I I have a rem- I have a memory of being at a, a concert um, up in North Florida, outdoor concert, and there was a band. One of the early bands was playing, and and it was not a they were not playing music that the crowd recognized mm-hmm. because they were an up and coming band. They were playing original music. But I had this thought where, you know, if, if one of the guitarists, if he had a wrong note or two in a row, the whole audience would know if it was like out of key and out, you know, if it was out of place. And that's like magic. Like, we don't know your song. We don't know where it's going. But there's a way you can do it wrong that we would all in real time hear. Yeah, but you know, those other musicians on the stage would probably gl- throw him a glance pretty quickly. If he oh, of course. Of course. It's just something so deep about music that there's a, a form and a structure and something to it that ties it all together. I Absolutely think. unquestionable. I was a music major in college for my first year until I finally realized that I didn't have a whole lot of musical talent. I played the French horn, of all things. Oh, wow. And uh, I learned very quickly that uh, my sister got all the musical talent. She's a, she's a teacher of the flute hmm. at, a, at a university in my hometown. And... Uh, I learned early on that it's more challenging mathematically 
than I ever wanted to embrace it yeah, to be that's a uh, good as, as a musician. And I am absolutely horrible at mathematics. I'm absolutely horrible at counting, and therefore I was a terrible, terrible musician and a lazy one who didn't want to practice either. Must not take math to make donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you got to okay. get your ingredient measurements right. That's right, all you got to right. deal with. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a device for that. Um, okay, well, let's get to your first song. And, and, and you can either uh, tell us your story and then we can hear it or you can – uh, listen to it with me and our listeners, and then you can tell your story. Well, I probably you ought to tell you the story first because okay. the, the, the the timing is convoluted. The timing is the song is from 1971, but it takes me back to the 1960s, the middle to late 1960s, in particular that I was born and raised in a little eastern West Virginia town, uh, about an hour outside of Washington D.C. And I remember in the 60s, in the late 60s, I remember the horrible experiences that the country was going through. It was grappling its issues with with racial strife and uh, grappling with issues of the Vietnam War. I mean, our cities were burning in 1968. And I remember that when I first heard this song, it blasted me back three or four years. And then since I was being raised by two of the most liberal individuals in the planet, I I did have a social conscience and I, conscience, and I still do have an enormous social conscience. And this song really raised it for me. It really pointed out what we had been through. And I think that of all the Motown tunes, of all the Motown work, I think that that was done by Marvin Gaye is among the most remarkable and lyrical and touching stuff. But this one is so socially relevant, and it still is today. All right, this is uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, in case you hadn't already put that together. It's Bob Grissinger's first song on this episode of Three Song Stories. Brother, 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 there's far too you know, normally I let the guest talk after the first song, but I just got to say, as someone who was born just after that song came out and only knows that era in principle and is now living through this era... And trying to imagine what a song like that would feel like, it's really powerful. Was there ever an instance where more humanity came through in a simple recorded track with so much soul as that song by Marvin Gaye? I think he was a remarkable talent, remarkable talent. Record company hated that record. They didn't oh, yeah. want to release it. Recorded it in Detroit, hated it, thought it was preachy. Thought it was difficult. It wasn't, you know, hand clapping Supremes, and it was a difficult song for them to do. They released it anyway, and wow, did they get a shock? They got quite a shock. I think it was the beginning of of Motown's step toward real, true relevance, and I mean relevance in the social aspect. How much, or, or at what point in time did you enter radio? Um. Very close to the time this song came out, about actually 1973. Was in, I was a freshman in college, and guess where I went to work? Guess where my first radio station job was? WIO in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Do you remember um, the first time maybe that you got to put the needle down on that track as a DJ that was running the ship? Not that particular song. I'm sure I played it. I, I had to have played it because it was, such a, it was just, mm -hmm. just such a smash, and I was on a top 40 radio station in 1973. That song was out in 71, so that would be right. what we called recurrence or – uh, a new old ear or whatever the terminology was at the time. And I remember uh, 
playing about the same 20 records over and over again. And then occasionally we got to play an older song and that one would have been in that category for sure. Uh, how long were you at that station? Four years. Um, it morphed into a full-time job. I became the production director. Um, and then I went on to other radio stations and uh, most all of them were top 40 or adult contemporary stations and basically uh, spent my time acting like an idiot on the radio. That was my, that was my entire goal. You pulled it off. <laughs> um, how often does um, uh, Marvin Gaye and Motown um, enter your playlist, as, the, as we it's call them today? It's on my playlist at my shop. It's on your playlist oh, at absolutely. your shop. Absolutely. It's on my playlist in my shop. It's on my Apple Tunes playlist. I, I play it all the time. I, I, I adore that song. Do you keep up with uh, contemporary pop music? I don't. And I, I don't because it is not um, – it's not the living I practice anymore. And I will tell you that I wasn't a great consumer of it when I was in the radio business. It was, it was work. It's like I don't eat, a lot, I yeah. don't eat as many donuts as I used to eat. Yeah. Thankfully, I, you know, my weight doesn't <laughs> allow me to eat as many donuts as I used to. But the fact is that I think when you do it for a living, you don't consume it and, uh, as, as much as you perceive that other people should. And uh, I did listen to the radio. I, I mean, it was my job. And at one time, I think here in Fort Myers, I was the director of programming for eight different radio stations in the building. And uh, then, a, then a change in FCC law made it impossible for that to continue. And there was a lot of upheaval in the FCC. And uh, I was uh, back to the one radio station. And that's that's uh, that's where I was when I left that company in 2006. What was your track between Wio, 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 and Wink? Like, what was the stepping stones uh, that links so those two stations? Uh, Wio's was the top 40 daytime radio station. You remember the daytimers? They they could only be on the air uh, when the light when when you had light in the sky, oh. and you could go on the air at uh, in December in my neck of the woods. You couldn't go on the air till seven forty five in the morning. You had to sign off at four forty five in the afternoon. Huh. In the wintertime, in the summertime, you had a really long broadcast day. So at WIO, I did that for four years, and then I went to work for WFMD in Frederick, Maryland, and the suburban Washington station. Uh, went and put a new radio station on in West Virginia, in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Went to Chambersburg, Pennsylvania um, to put a 50,000-watt FM station on the air. Ended up coming to Port Charlotte and working at a small AM uh, FM radio station there as a 28-year-old single man running a big band radio station in Port Charlotte. At the time, I think Charlotte County was the oldest per capita county in the United States or it was close to it. Yeah, it's, it's, I wasn't a good fit. But I did that for four years, and then I ended up at Wink. Uh, can we return real quickly to the daytimer concept? What was the rationale behind that? What was the programming difference between the daytime and the nighttime? Well, AM radio, as I understood it, if you broadcast during the day, your signal was eaten up by the sun. Ah, right. And at night, Stratospheric it went up and bounced off of something. There was the Kim McKinley heavy side layer and there was all kinds of gotcha. uh, science and stuff. I've heard of that. Yeah, and you, uh, that's why uh, AM radio stations, a lot of AM radio stations are required to reduce their power at night because their signal goes a lot farther and I believe that was the concept. So you, you had daytime radio stations that were only licensed on daytime channels. Understood. I read a story not too long ago about some, and you've probably heard this too, there was some big Midwest station that was so powerful in the early days of AM radio that on some days you can like pick it up in Japan. I mean, it just would go 
everywhere. Very likely because it bounced all over the place. FM radio goes in a beam and it doesn't doesn't follow the contours of the earth. AM radio bounces around in the atmosphere. There's your radio little lesson for the day, listeners. Um, very unscientific because it came from a very unscientific mind, and I trust you. I, I, I don't well don't know how accurate that description. We are we are not is. claiming to be. Um, okay, let's let's get back to the songs that didn't make your list. Oh. What, what were the like? What was the you know number four that had to just go? Mm. Through the fire by Shaka Khan. Hmm. Because I consider her to be one of the greatest vocalists of the 20th century. The woman can do everything and anything with her voice. And I like that performance. But it is a sentimental thing. And I tried to steer – we tried you, – you specifically said let's steer away from what you danced at at, at your wedding or what – you know, the real right. sentimental gooey, gooey right. things. And that, that, that one ended up in the cutting room floor. Um, I think she is a remarkable singer. As you can tell, I'm a very – Big fan of soulful vocals, and uh-huh. Marvin Gaye and Shaka Khan and those people. Another song by Art Garfunkel, mm-hmm. who I adored because I thought uh, The Boxer was a classic song. Um, of course, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, a song by him called Traveling Boy, which I always played as the last song before I left my job at a, at a radio station going to a new career. Ah, it was your party. That was my parting songs. And it was a very, you know, I considered that to be very dramatic. And I'm sure all of that was totally lost on the listeners. I had no idea what I was doing. Or that doesn't really, matter. Probably didn't care <laughs> at all. <laughs> but I thought it was very moving on my part. And, of course, it wasn't. But. Over the years, I'm sure you got to meet a lot of um, musicians, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Lee's acts. Um, are any of the people who are on our shortlist, your shortlist today, people who you got to meet mm-hmm. you know, from radio? Do mm-hmm. you have a, a, a story you can tell us from that? Yeah, I got to meet Elton John. Um, I, I think that was a, a, a real highlight to meet Elton John. I mean, he was uh, he's he's is is as big a superstar as you can possibly get. And I think the probably the most bizarre part of that whole experience was that when we were uh, all ushered into the room, there were maybe fifty, maybe seventy-five. I don't really remember. Program directors from various radio stations in the southeast. We were all ushered into a room, and we were told by the record pr- pr- promoter at the time. The label promoter that we were not to look above his eyebrows, and well, I wondered why that was. And apparently, the story became that Elton was very, very touchy about his toupee, and you weren't supposed to look above his eyebrows. Of course, the minute you walked in and you saw Elton John, your eyes all, everybody's eyes went right above his eyebrows. Gawk at his They should have said, "Don't look at his belt buckle." (laughs) (laughs) He was never. Never appeared to be offended. He was lovely and he was very kind. He shook your hand and had a had a real real kind way about him, and uh, that was a great experience. And we got to hear a little mini concert by him, so I enjoyed that a lot. So, uh, as it were, song number two is one of his songs. Why did you choose uh, "Tiny Dancer"? I kind of think it represents the radio business that I was in. It's an entertainment song. It's about entertainment. It's about a Bernie Taupin wrote it for his girlfriend at the time, I believe, wrote it or dedicated it to him, to her. And it was about uh, all of the chicks that Bernie Taupin got to meet when he was in the music business. And I I can't say that I had a lot of chicks hanging around, but it was the radio business and you did uh, get to meet a lot of interesting and fascinating people. And I like this song particularly because I think it's 
well, I'll just say it bluntly, probably the greatest pop rock record ever produced. It's just a phenomenal piece of work. It's phenomenally produced. It was recorded at, uh, I think it was Trident Studios in London, where the entire album Mad Men Against the Water, Across the Water, was re- was was recorded. And there is everything anybody could ever want in a rock ballad in Tiny Dancer. All right, let's hear it. This is Elton John's Tiny Dancer. You're listening to Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. I love Elton John. I, I, I think he is a phenomenal talent, and I believe that probably the only other choice of song I would have picked beside that one, well, maybe two others, but Leave On, Tiny Dancer, Your Song, all three just make me, give me the chills. You ever see him in concert? Oh, yeah. As the hardest working man in the business. Yeah. I remember he was uh, doing, I think his concert went about two and a half hours. Wow. The, the one that I saw, of course, aside from the private concert that we were privileged to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, I think it was at uh, in Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. It was probably within the last 20 years. But he let his band go take an hour break, and he sat up there on stage and oh, played the a, piano and continued to do the entire concert. What a it, treat. It went on forever. And, oh, and, and it, it didn't feel like it went on forever. Sure. It, it seemed like it was 20 minutes. A uh, hardworking man. Um, uh, it seems like you would have probably gotten to see a lot of live acts over the years. Is that always a part of your world? Um, I didn't. Oh, really? Uh, I know. Uh, I, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it was too loud. Huh. Um, I uh, was never really one into mind-numbing volume. Um, but I, 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 I enjoy studio music more than I enjoy live music. And uh, if the musician is really great he can do the live stuff as well as right. and make it sound as good as it does in the studio but i don't think that happens as often as it should where are you at musically today you say you don't really keep up with modern pop music but what's sort of maybe a newer band that you have you know come across or has oh, entered your playlist or have any i love um this isn't very new uh, i love well, that's okay. i love the groove armada I think they're wonderful. I think that 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 album uh, that they had that had uh, I see you, baby, shaking that blankety blankety blank. Um, and I, I it was a podcast. There, there was, Bob. There was a, you there can was a, oh, oh no, yeah, was, yeah. I, I I love I love them. I think they're really remarkable. Um, but you know, no, I, that's that's as current as I get, and that's probably what fifteen years ago, ten years ago. That, that can that you was out. can you recommend? A song or a band to our listeners who you think would not have crossed their radar? Do you have something out there that is something you latched onto at some point during your life that you still listen to that never made it to the, you know, the top of the culture? Art Garfunkel solo albums. Um, I love uh, – <clears throat> I think it's a South African group called The Lighthouse Family. I think it's just wonderful to listen to. My little six-year-old loves the song Lifted by them. Uh, because when she was two, I used to play that song and run around and lift her up every time they sang those words. So that, that's one. Um, but um, I, that, that's probably the most the, – the biggest example. I liked them very much. They were – they had some very minor pop hits but never were very, very strong in the, in, in the commercial music business. Um, uh, what, how, how big is the playlist at Bennett's? 
Sounds like it might not be very big. <laughs> About 950 Okay, that's pretty songs. big. Yeah, it All repeats, curated by you. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and and I, 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 it's, it's all about – it's the same as my donuts. I make the donuts because they're the donuts that I like to eat and I make the – put the playlist together because those are the songs I like to hear. But fortunately, I get a lot of compliments about the music. It's different. It isn't you know, a packaged uh, music uh, subscription from Muzak or wherever and uh, you end up uh, hearing things that you don't normally get to hear very frequently. How did you wind up in donuts? I mean, that might be a slight departure for a music yeah. show, you know, a biography for music show. But couldn't but find I, any donut tunes. Couldn't find. Did you try? Yeah, <laughs> not very hard. <laughs> well, my brother-in-law and I decided to open a Bennett's, and we it was initially going to be just a coffee shop. We we're going to roast our own coffee, right? Which we Bennett's, which we do do exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know what? We need another cash cow. We need another side of the business that the two can bounce off of. So we're, you know, and and it's ended up being that way because forty percent. Of what we of our sales is donuts, and forty percent of our sales is coffee, and hmm. the, rest the rest is, is lobster roll, lobster rolls, and lunches, <laughs> and things like that. And uh, so we just I, I, I am a I'm, I'm a, just such a cooking fan. I have cooked all my life. I adore cooking. I love to eat, as you can tell by my stomach's girth. And the fact is that it's it's something that uh, uh, is 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 the most spiritual thing in the world to me is to stand behind a stove. And whip up something delicious and eat it and share it with my family and my friends. That's that's the best experience. That's life. You know, it must feel pretty good, too, when you've got people lined up literally around the corner on a Sunday or Saturday morning in season for your donuts. Uh, people have a sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it is time for your last song. So what do you have for us? I, this one is, was a little tough for me, and I wanted to make sure that I chose a song that reflected a couple of aspects of my life. One specifically was the fact that when I left the radio business – in 2006, after being called upstairs and being told by the general manager, uh, Mob, we're going in a different direction now. And I knew exactly what that meant because I had done that many times to employees as well. I mean, that was my job. I have no harbor, no ill feelings against the company that I worked for for 22 years. But I knew that what that meant. Um, but I never said another word on the radio. I was never back on the radio. I never got to say goodbye. Hmm. Um, that was in 2006, September 19th. I remember it real clearly. And I said to myself that uh, I really would have liked to have uttered a few final words of gratitude, um, a few final words of uh, stay where you are. This is a great radio station. This is a great company. These are great people. I have no... No anger or regrets. I enjoyed what I did. I was 54 years old at the time, and I was a morning guy on a hot AC top 40 radio station. So I probably had pretty much met the end of the road of my relevance as a morning show talent. So I understood it, but I never got to say that to my audience. And I missed that opportunity. And, uh, I say that to a lot of people in person today who walk into my shop and say, hey, I remember you on the radio. Whatever happened? Why did you just disappear? You just left. And of course, there were newspaper articles and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uproar uh, by some people. And uh, 
really was never worth the uproar. It was uh, all about moving on and going on to new stages in your life. And the song is also about my life as a uh, a closeted man who had been uh, living in conflict with himself. Uh, I was raised by liberal people. I had a lot of lot of friends, and my parents had a lot of friends, but I was never out on the radio at all, never. And I regret that. And that's one thing that I wish I could have done more openly and honestly on the radio when I was in the morning show with Gina Birch. She certainly was a good friend, and she continues to be. She's my little sister, probably going to be at the shop when I get back there this morning. And uh, that is important to me to be able to express. And this song expresses that level of freedom, not only from the perspective that I didn't have that chain self-imposed, on the radio, but it's cathartic. It's freeing to be able to say that right here and now, that my husband and my six-year-old daughter are uh, very, very critical and crucial and loving parts of my life. And uh, George Michael was a man who was uh, so strong and so capable of expressing those things every day of his life. He got in trouble for it a couple of times, but uh, this song is an anthem, and it's an anthem to me personally, and for my husband, and for my little little six-year-old. Okay, well, we're going to hear it. This is uh, Freedom by George Michael. You're listening to Three Song Story. That's Freedom by George Michael. It's my uh, guest today, Bob Grissinger's third song on Three Song Stories. Um, that would have been in rotation for you at Wink, right? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, it was 90. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So as someone who was in the closet, what was it like to play songs by people like George Michael and to kind of have to navigate around that in your head? Well, I was, a skilled, at, I was skilled at that. I lived my whole life like that. Right. Not only just it wasn't on just the radio. It yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but listening to songs by George Michael, you didn't know. Uh, we weren't proud and out, and I don't think George Michael in 1990 was proud and yeah, out either. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he, I, there's so much about him that was fascinating to me. I mean, if you've seen the movie that was recently on, I think it's it's been on HBO a lot lately. I think it's called Freedom, as a matter of fact. I mean, here was a man who was um, a closeted singer in a very homophobic music world, exceedingly homophobic. The radio industry, the music side of the radio industry is exactly the same way. And you have this enormous uh, pressure to... <coughs> To walk the straight line, so to speak, and George Michael not only bucked that attitude in the music business, he literally told his huge label to go take a flying leap and walked away from its contract and uh, didn't do any work for a period of a couple of years, just on principle. Just on principle. There is a principled man. He was a very principled man. And uh, impressive character. 
So the world's changed a lot since you left radio in 2006 in terms of uh, people being willing to be open and honest about who they are, but also just other ways that technology and things have changed music. Do you ever think what would it be like to be still doing it today? I mean, what are the things uh, that you reflect on? I don't know that the radio industry exists as it did 15 or 20 years ago. I left the radio industry in uh, 12 years ago in 2006. And uh, deregulation in the 1980s did some real serious damage to the commercial radio business. It did away with the um, Fairness Doctrine, did away with the equal time provisions of the Fairness Doctrine. And uh, I think that it did away with the uh, ownership limitations. Uh, a company can now own thousands and thousands of radio stations. And, and often I'm speaking do. specifically of commercial, the yeah, commercial yeah. aspect, sure. not the non not the nonprofit and non-commercial such as this one. But the fact of the matter is that has damaged the industry so much from a perspective of variety and a perspective of creativity and a respect of uh, it, it's just not what it used to be and I guess you can always whine about things the way they used to be and we're always better but I'm not really sure that that was a hundred percent of the cause because the internet has certainly changed things dramatically yeah. as well I mean the YouTubes and the Apple Air, uh, uh, iTunes and all of the various ways of getting music now and Kids can program their own stuff. Why would they mm -hmm. want Mr. Disc Jockey sitting there picking up tunes and playing them for them without, uh, without them having much of a choice? It's, it's very different these days. So um, how old is your daughter? Six. She daughter is, she, we adopted her at – well, she was – we first met her at five days. She okay. was five days old and took her home and gave her a bath in the kitchen sink. Um, <laughs> What does she, she so six? Has she like glommed on to any musical stylings yet? Is what's her musical upbringing been like so far? Uh, piano lessons. Oh, okay, mm, absolutely, piano lessons. Um, I, I, we took her to those music classes where she gets to run, gets to run around and dance and sing and do little kids' songs and things along those lines. But uh, I don't believe she's latched on to any specific genre yet. Not nothing. She's singing in the car too, or anything like that. Uh, she's singing in the car, um, mostly songs that she has. Um, I'm trying to think of what she has listened to and what she sings. It's it's it's, it's mostly the kiddie stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of the things that she's learning to play on the piano. Right. But I, I, I you know, I, I, what will she grasp onto as a as a consumer of music? I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to watch that as it develops. Oh, it is. I, I'm I'm trying to do the math myself because my daughter's getting ready to turn thirteen, and of course now she's got all kinds of stuff that's hers. You know that she's glommed onto. But I'm trying to think of when it first happened. But it's not. I think you're not far away from something getting into her head. We've been a little protective of television, music. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I think you you want to as as they're young and they're developing. I think you want to make sure you police it a little bit. I don't think you need to, you know, hold your child away from right. any television or any radio or any music of any kind, but I think it's important to make sure you know what they're listening to and what they're consuming. Well, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to pass along as we round out this episode? Gratitude, Mike. Thanks for letting me be here. It's a, an enormous honor to have you have asked me to come in and talk about this stuff. It's, uh, it's all about... Uh, it's all about uh, how you let music reflect on your life. And I think that those three songs that you let me pick, um, those are really the soundtrack of my life. 
Well, it's really it's really been my pleasure. So I want to thank you, Bob. Once again, uh, known as C. David Bennett on the radio waves for many years and the force behind Bennett's Fresh Roast in downtown Fort Myers. Thanks for doing this, Bob. I truly appreciate it. It's my pleasure. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio in Fort Myers. The show is produced, directed, and co-created by Richard Chin Kui. Tara Callaghan and Anna Bejarano are our online content producers. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For my parting tune this week, I'm going back to the late 1980s and quite likely Wink 96.9 because that pretty much was the radio when I was a teen. This song took the world by storm, later to become mocked, and I wasn't necessarily a huge fan because I was mostly listening to the police at the time. But while this song is proof positive of the power of music to not only connect us to our pasts, but in some cases get us to almost even believe in what might not even be there. I liked this song because my girlfriend Paige loved this song. This is Girl You Know It's True by Millie Vanilli. This is Three Song Stories. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. All of a sudden, the intro to Harry Hood comes on, and my daughter says, We gotta find Daddy! And then I see Chris from the other end of like the fairgrounds running, like he's saying the same thing. I gotta find Emerson, and they get there right as the band starts singing Harry, <laughs> and they then Emerson and Chris go into this Harry Hood moment, and they run up to the front, and they start dancing, and I thought, this is what music does, right?